What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. We dive into stories of true crime from unsolved cold cases to historic kidnapping to gangsters and beyond. We are your source for true crime. We thank you for listening. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. I'm your host, Larry Elise. And on today's episode, the series finale of Breakout Kings, we dive into the Alcatraz prison escape. But first, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Good Ranchers. If you're anything like me, you know that good ranch or good quality meat makes all the difference in your home-cooked meals. That's why I love Good Ranchers. They deliver 100% American premium meat straight to your doorstep. Since I started using them, my barbecues have gone from great to phenomenal. If you're a foodie or just love a good steak or good chicken or even good seafood, check out Good Ranchers. It's a game changer for mealtimes. And of course, if you want to continue the conversation, you can leave a comment in the, com- in the comment section below or leave a comment on Facebook or Twitter and let us know your thoughts on this prison escape. Without further ado, let's dive right in. The name Alcatraz has a way of instilling fear, even for those who know nothing about it. It earned that reputation. In fact, it was their goal, and it always was, from the very moment that the San Francisco Bay Island was commissioned to be a military prison. It had actually been used as a fort, which we purchased from Mexico after the Mexican-American War. Fort Alcatraz was complete by 1858 and held about 200 soldiers all of whom waited for their 105 cannons 
day in and day out, but no threat ever emerged. The U.S. Army decided that it should stay a site of defense, but in order to make some use of the space, they began imprisoning U.S. soldiers guilty of war crimes and soon Civil War prisoners of war. With the Civil War, rapid changes were made in artillery and combat, and Fort Alcatraz was deemed obsolete. On October 12, 1933, the military prison of Alcatraz was acquired by the U.S. Department of Justice, where they turned it into a maximum security federal prison. During the 29 years it was in use, the jail had held some of the most notorious criminals in American history, such as Al Capone and Robert Franklin Stroud. To this day, they claim that in those 29 years of operation, no prisoner escaped successfully. But the truth is, they don't know that for sure. Because on June 11th, 1962, Frank Morris, John and Clarence Anglin, carried out one of the most intricate escapes ever seen. And to this day, they've never been found. In the 1930s, Alcatraz was already a forbidding place, surrounded by the cold, choppy waters of the Pacific Ocean. Once it was redesigned from a fort into a prison, it housed even tougher iron bars. A series of strategically placed guard towers and strict rules, including a dozen checks a day of each and every prisoner. Escape seemed near impossible to anyone who found themselves locked away on the island. But the Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary was never a criminal's first landing place. The whole idea that they were founded on is that it will be a place to hold the current prisoners who caused too much trouble at other federal prisons. This was not intended to be a place for rehab. It was strictly a place for punishment. Despite the odds from 1934 until the prison closed in 1963, 36 men attempted 14 separate escapes. Nearly all were caught or didn't survive the attempt. Nearly. Frankly, Morris had spent almost a lifetime learning the prison system before his arrival to Alcatraz. From his infant years until his teens, Frank shuffled from one foster home to another, up until he was convicted of his first crime at 13 years old. By the time he reached his late teens, his criminal record included a range of crimes from narcotics to armed robbery, and he had become a consistent member of the correctional system. He spent his formative years in a boys' training school and then graduated on to a series of larger and larger penitentiaries. Frank was credited by prison officials as possessing superior intelligence, and he earned his ticket to Alcatraz by building an extensive resume of escapes. In 1960, federal officials decided that his parent pattern of escape attempts, termed as shotgun freedom, would land him at the rock. Around the same time, brothers John Clarence and Alfred Anglin were serving sentences for bank robbery. All three had been incarcerated at the federal penitentiary in Atlanta when they first met Frank Morris, and John and Clarence were eventually sent to Alcatraz following a sequence of attempted escapes. Nevertheless, when they arrived at Alcatraz, they all were placed in close proximity. What could go wrong? Alan West occupied an adjacent cell in Alcatraz, and his sharp brain quickly brought him in on the scheme. He was serving his second term now on the rock, and he carried a reputation as an arrogant criminal. He actually knew John from the state penitentiary in Florida, so a level of trust was easy to establish among the four men. June 12, 1962, the guards of Alcatraz were conducting their routine morning inmate count. This particular check turned out to be anything but routine when the three inmates weren't accounted for. Surely it be, must be a miscount, so the guards checked again. They confirmed that three prisoners were not up for headcount. 
They were missing John England, his brother Clarence, and Frank. Guards assumed they didn't wake at the morning alarm and entered the cells to aggressively wake them. After a rough jolt to the body in bed, the guards' jaws dropped when instead of a groaning convict, a severed head rolled off on the, of the body and out of the bed. It wasn't a cadaver. Instead, each head was a cleverly built dummy head made out of plaster, flesh-toned paint, and real human hair that fooled the night guards throughout the various bedtime checks. They realized that the heads were crude and made out of innocuous materials such as soap and toilet paper, decorated with flesh-toned paint from prisoner art kits and human hair taken from the barbershop. Immediately, the prison went into lockdown and an intense search began for the three men. The FBI was called in to help immediately. They first checked for any and every record on the missing prisoners, whether or not they had any previous escape attempts. All three did, the exact reason why they were sent to Alcatraz in the first place. They interviewed relatives of the men and compiled all their identification records. They ordered boat operators in the bay to be on the lookout for any type of debris. Within two days, a packet of letters sealed in rubber and related to the men were recovered. Later, some panel-like pieces of wood and bits of rubber inner tube were found in the water. A homemade life vest was discovered washed up on Cronkite Beach. But even after extensive searches, no other items turned up in the area. As the days passed, the FBI, the Coast Guard, Bureau of Prison Authorities, and others began to piece together the evidence and work out the ingenious escape plan. They were assisted by Alan West, who didn't make it out of his cell in time to escape with the rest. The group had begun laying plans back in December, just six months earlier, when one of them came across old saw blades in the workshop. The men began constructing crude homemade tools, like a homemade drill from the motor of a broken vacuum cleaner. Each escapee loosened the air vents at the back of their cell slowly and painstakingly by drilling closely spaced holes around the cover so the entire section of the wall could be removed. They did this work only at night during music hour in the corridor to cover up their nose. The four men split up in pairs, alternated shifts with one working and one on lookout. They would start work at 5.30 p.m. and continue till about 9 p.m. just prior to lights out. Once they were done, they hid the holes with whatever they could, like a suitcase or a piece of cardboard. Behind the cells was an unguarded utility corridor. The men made their way down this corridor and climbed to the roof of their cell block where they set up a secret workshop. There, they took turns keeping watch for the guards in the evening before the last count. They used a variety of stolen materials to build and hide what they needed to escape. To make the homemade drill, Alan was able to steal an electric hair clipper while working on a paint detail in the barbershop. He used the clippers, along with drill bits stolen by another inmate, to create his first makeshift drill. It was too small, though, so they had to think harder. By a stroke of luck, Alan learned that the prison vacuums had recently broken so he asked permission to attempt a repair, and in doing so, he discovered that the machine had two motors. He carefully removed one and was able to get the other working, therefore deflecting suspicion from prison monitors. Franklin and the Anglin brothers were then able to use a vacuum motor for their drill. They attempted to drill out the roof ventilator, but with only limited success, the motor proved too noisy. 
but it was effective enough thanks to the prison's say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill support for this podcast and the following message come from corient corient provides wealth management services centered around you they focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully preserve their wealth and provide for the people causes and communities they care about as one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, Information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C O R I E N T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Music Hour. From what I understand, most other inmates at Alcatraz knew the escape was happening. It's some sort of code to assist in the escape, even if you're not included, and you certainly don't rat anyone out. The escapees were able to gather more than 50 raincoats from other prisoners to turn into makeshift life preservers and build a 6 by 14 foot rubber raft. This never rang any alarm bells for the guards. Inmates losing their coats so frequently, there were so many left over from the military fort that it was no big deal at all for a guard to get you a new one. The men carefully stitched together the, the seams of the coats and vulcanized them with the hot steam pipes in the prison. That's the process of hardening rubber by extreme heat. They got this idea from magazines found right in their cells. They also built wooden panels and converted a musical instrument into a tool used to inflate the raft. And as if they weren't busy enough, at the same time, they were looking for a way out of the building. The ceiling was a good 30 feet high. But by using a network of pipes, they climbed up and eventually pried open the ventilator at the very top of the shaft. They kept it in place temporarily until their escape by creating a fake bolt out of hand soap. About six months later, it's June 11th, and the men were ready to go as soon as the nighttime count concluded. All but our future informant, Alan West, were ready to make the run for it. He had been so busy helping construct the other tools and flotation devices that he fell behind in removing his ventilator grill from his cell wall. Frank indicated to the others that it was a go time, and when Alan couldn't make it out in time, he was left behind. The three others made it into the corridor, gathering their gear, climbed up and out through the 30-foot plumbing pipes, and got to the cell house roof. Then, about 100 feet across the rooftop, they shimmied down the bakery smokestack at the rear of the cell house all the way to the ground near the entrance to the shower area. It was the last time the men were ever seen. 
they climbed over the fence and snuck to the northeast shore of the island. This shore was the only blind spot to every guard tower due to the curvature, so they launched their raft and were off. Alan West had finally removed his grill and climbed to the rooftop, but by then, the other three inmates had departed. With no raft or other means of escape, he was forced to return to his cell. Once Alan West spilled the secrets to investigators, we learned that supposedly the escape plan was to use the homemade raft to get to Angel Island. After resting, the escapees would re-enter the bay on the opposite side of the island and s swim through a waterway called Raccoon Straits. Then on to Marin, they would steal a car, burglarize a clothing store, and then venture out each in their own directions. What happened to the three escapees next remains a mystery. Did they make it across the bay? Did they get to Angel Island and cross Raccoon Strait into Marin County? Or did the wind and the waves get the best of them? Due to the piles of debris found at Angel Island, it's a common acceptance that the men did in fact make it. But at the time and to this day, Alcatraz officials and the FBI deny the possibility. Despite the plan to steal a car and fresh clothing upon arrival, the FBI never uncovered any thefts of this sort. After 12 days of searching, despite the high-profile nature of the, of the case, the swim from Alcatraz Island to Angel Island or Aquatic Park to San Francisco happened frequently, especially to this day. Thousands of people attempt this challenge every year, even teens. Thanks to Pedro Ordonez, who has made the trip over 979 times. The swim route is about a mile and a half, and it's safe enough. But the cold water and infamous tides offer the real challenge. The people who engage in this event take months and months to prepare. They come armed with wetsuits, months and years of training, and pre-swim carbo loading, all the while following Pedro, the guide who knows the bay better than anyone. But all that said, Frank, Clarence, and John didn't have all that prep available locked up in various prisons for years. They hadn't gotten to swim for years, and their meals can hardly be called nutritious. Many proclaimed that the odds were widely stacked against them. On the other hand, the fact that no bodies were found was used as proof that the inmates did arrive successfully to the mainland. But in reality, it's not too uncommon for people to die in the bay waters and never be recovered. On that night, the waters ranged from 50 to 54 degrees Fahrenheit. Scientists determined that exposure to the elements would begin affecting bodily functions after only 20 minutes in that temperature. In fact, the showers at Alcatraz were always supplied with moderately hot water in order to hinder inmates from becoming acclimated to the freezing bay temperatures. While I mentioned there was no way for inmates to properly train for the escape, the England brothers were competitive swimmers before their incarceration. Every summer before their initial incarceration, the brothers were known for swimming competitively in the icy waters of Lake Michigan. The most significant lead in the case, according to the FBI, was by a Norwegian freighter ship in July of 1962. They reported seeing a body floating about 20 miles northwest of the Golden Gate Bridge. Unfortunately, they didn't report the sighting until October, but were able to recall that the body was closed in full-length denim trousers bleached by the ocean that apparently identical to prison-issued uniforms. Coroners have confirmed that a body can float for five weeks after drowning, and the FBI official report indicated that no other individuals had been reported missing or drowned in that time span wearing similar trousers. At the time, the Anglin family claimed to have never been contacted 
by either the brothers, and they felt sure that the men would have at least tried to make contact if they had survived. The family would soon suffer yet another tragedy when the third brother, Alfred, was electrocuted while attempting to escape from Kilby Prison in Montgomery, Alabama in 1964. Since the escape, Alcatraz officials have maintained that the men drowned in order to uphold the prison's bragging rights of no escapees. But now, more than 50 years later, the Anglin family has changed their tune and presented new leads as they cooperate with authorities for the first time since the escape. They have claimed that not only did the brothers survive the escape, they were alive and well up through at least the mid-1970s, and may still be alive today. The evidence is presented by the Anglin's nephews David, now 48, and Ken Winder, now 54, who are featured in a History Channel special titled Alcatraz Search for the Truth. The interviews have offered new insights and has the FBI planning to search South America for signs of America's most notorious escapees. Why would the Anglin family sit on those leads for years? They say that they were spied on and harassed by the FBI for years, but a desire to see the case solved before the escapee's sister passed away, combined with the cockiness of Alcatraz officials, inspired them to come forward. Her son David Windner said Alcatraz officials were not willing to say, Maybe the men did make it, and that gave me the motive to prove them wrong. First, they presented Christmas cards signed by Clarence and John, delivered to their mother the first three years after the escape, each of which arrived without any postage. Although the handwriting matched the brothers, investigators were unable to pinpoint the exact date of the messages. Next, the nephews came forward with a photo which supposedly proves that the Anglin brothers were alive in the 1970s. The next big piece of evidence from the family was buried about six feet deep in the ground. They let investigators dig up the remains of the older brother Alfred to extract his DNA. This was a huge offer, because San Francisco authorities had recently discovered a set of bones washed ashore north of San Francisco in 1963, which they believed to belong to one of the escapees. The DNA proved not to be a match, giving life to the Anglin family claims that the brothers are still very much alive. The bones could still possibly belong to Frank Morris, as he had no living relatives alive to compare DNA to. The nephews have said that they hope the TV special about the history of Alcatraz will cement their uncles and Frank Morris as the only people to successfully escape the island out of the 36 who ever tried. If the men are alive today, Frank Morris would be 90 years old, John and Clarence would be 86 and 87. The FBI officially closed the case on December 31, 1979, and turned over responsibility to the U.S. Marshal Service, who continues to investigate the unlikely event that the trio is still alive, specifically in Brazil, where allegations and photo evidence have been provided that the two are still alive. So next time you're in Brazil, look out for the only two people to ever potentially escape America's toughest prison. Let us know your thoughts on this prison break in the comment section below. Do you think they managed to escape successfully? Or did they die in the waters and drown? And of course, give us a thumbs up if you like our video. Subscribe to the channel. And hit that bell notification button to be notified of future videos. As always, if you want to support the channel, go ahead and buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNS. Your support helps the channel grow, upgrade our equipment, and bring a new host be able to pay them create even more content, and hopefully one day take this show on the road. As always, thank you so much for watching and listening. We will see you next time.
You have been listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast and on Twitter at True Crime NS. Follow us on Instagram at True Crime Never Sleeps. Thanks for watching. If you want to support the show, buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNN or become a patron at patreon.com slash True Crime Never Sleeps. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.